Maggie. Hi, I'm Mark, and this is... Spatial Report. Welcome to the Esri Canada podcast that connects our user community with the latest and coolest trends in the world of ArcGIS. On today's show... We're going to talk about how Esri is making our products more accessible to everyone, and how you can produce GIS content that reduces barriers and embraces inclusion. Then, looking for the fastest and easiest way to collect data in the field? Maybe ArcGIS Quick Capture is right for you. Our GeoMobility GeoGeek is here to give us the speedy details. Finally, we opened up the GIS trivia book for another page-turning edition of M vs. M. It's a brand new year and we've got brand new stuff to share, so let's go. So Mark, it's a new year. Are you excited to get back into the GIS things of this, this 2024 year? Well, first of all, Happy New Year. Happy New yes, Year to Happy all year. of our wonderful listeners out there. Happy New Year to GIS in general, because it deserves a shout out. Yes, um, always. <laughs> I'm, I'm always ready. I'm excited. We had a nice long vacation and we're ready to go talking about a whole bunch of GIS topics that we're going to cover over the next 12 months. So I'm excited to be working with you again, Megs. Yeah, of course. It's been a nice long break from each other and we're back to <laughs> to create some new content. <laughs> I'm sure you savored every moment of our uh, of me not being around. <laughs> no, Bye. of course not. Even my resolution this year, spend more time with Marco. So <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? I hope you have something equally great to that you're planning to do this this year. You know what? I do. I want to actually do more GIS. You know, ah. I my New Year's resolution, my GIS New Year's resolution is to actually do something, which would be kind of fun. You know, like we 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 play around with the software a lot, but we don't actually get to use it that often. So I'm kind of well, at least I don't. So uh, I'm very excited to to put that on my resolution list. How about you? Mm. Well, I already told you. I, oh, I you did. You don't have anything else beyond that? Come on. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, there's so many wonderful things to do this year. I definitely want to push myself to play with ArcGIS Enterprise more this year. Ooh. Yeah. I think I, I like to overlook it because it seems complicated and scary, but I know it's not that bad. And I want to I want to start using it a little bit more in 2024. Oh, it's scary. It's very scary. <laughs> no, don't tell me that. You're going to push me away. I haven't <laughs> even started yet. <laughs> <laughs> I never want to push you away, Maggie. Well, never. you've you've scared me off. So now I need something to, that will lighten my mood. So I need to know for the first time this this year, what is making you mappy? All right. So the thing that's making me mappy is kind of a small little enhancement that's been added into ArcGIS Story Maps in their last release. This was in November of 23. But I think this is something that's actually pretty cool. And that is the idea of image links in ArcGIS story maps. Mm. So, you know, you can create a story map and you can throw in a number of images into that story map to make it look nice and pretty. But now you can be able to click on that image and we can launch something. We can open up a website, for example. So um, all you need to do is just go into the options setting of that image, and then you can add some URL to that image. And in addition to that, with some of the other properties, you can add in the attribution. So if you need to give that image some credit, you can throw that in there, as well as any kind of alternate text for uh, accessibility, which we'll talk about a little bit later here. Um, Then when you're actually using the story map, you kind of hover over the image. It'll kind of go a little bit black, and then you'll see a link there that says open link. 
in the body and then you just click on it and it'll open up the website. So it's a very small thing, very cosmetic thing in ArcGIS Story Maps, but I think a lot of our users are really going to love that. So image links, check that out in ArcGIS Story Maps. Wow, that does sound great. So so good that I just assumed it was already there. <laughs> <laughs> it's there now. So you I'm can excited. go ahead and enjoy it. All That's right. great. I need to know your first mappy of 2024. So what's making you mappy this month? Well, it's a new year, but it's the same me. And the same thing's always <laughs> making me mappy. ArcGIS Pro. Can't get enough oh, of it. <laughs> of I know. It's always the same, but I just, it's the best product. What can I say? It does so much. And uh, ArcGIS Pro 3.2 came out last year. We talked about it a little bit with our GeoGeeks. But uh, in the end of this month, I'm having a webinar with our colleague, Justin. We're running a webinar talking all about what's new in ArcGIS Pro 3.2. And that's all that I can think about right now. It's all that's making me mappy is all the exciting enhancements. So I didn't want to pick just one. I'm saying my webinars make me mappy. So you better come and watch. (laughs) (laughs) I will block that off in my calendar right now. I am looking forward to seeing you and Justin show off all of the cool new enhancements of ArcGIS Pro 3.2. So I am there for that. Great. January 31st. Better be there. I believe that's the right day, right? Last day of the month. There's 31 days, I'm sure. (laughs) 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 Whichever one it happens to be. It's a Wednesday. (laughs) And on that very definitive note, (laughs) let's move on and talk about something a little bit more serious. So coming up next, we're going to go inside the arc and talk about the important topic of ArcGIS and accessibility. Maps and GIS are for everyone, so it's important that our products are designed and readily available to all types of people with a diverse range of abilities. We should be mindful to create web content that provides equal access, reduces barriers, and embraces inclusion. To talk more about the intersection of GIS technology and accessibility, we're joined by our special guest. Clara Schmidt is the Principal Product Designer for ArcGIS Hub at Esri Inc., and she is also a passionate advocate for accessible web design. Welcome to the podcast, Clara. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, it's good to be here. Yeah, thanks, Clara. Yeah, we did a webinar way back in May 2021 about accessibility. So it's really great that you're back here uh, talking with our audience here at Esri Canada. Yes, yes, it was. Yes, indeed. All right, so why don't we just start at the beginning? So um, give us an idea about what accessibility is and why it's important in the context of what we do in GIS. Yeah, so generally when you hear accessibility referenced in the scope of digital tools or online technology, we're talking about giving people, all people, sort of equal access to content information. According to the World Health Organization, one in six people has a disability, and sometimes it's easy to forget that things that you or I might take for granted will not always work for other people. My exposure to accessibility started in college. I studied web design and interactive media, and many of the lectures were an instructor sitting at a computer speaking as they navigated through slides or a particular piece of software. And I was a compulsive note taker and a classmate noticed and she asked if I would take notes on a piece of carbonless copy paper for her. So she provided me the paper and I would take the notes. And that's the paper where if you write on the top sheet, it imprints to that like pink or yellow layer on the bottom. And the reason she asked me to do that was because she was deaf. And up until that point, I had not considered how challenging it would be to 
watch interpreters who are speaking for the teacher while also like splitting your focus in between the, the interpreters and the slide deck and also taking notes. So in especially complicated software, like some of the Adobe products, she noticed that I was like dying, drawing diagrams. So that's why she asked me to do that on behalf of both of us. And that was an advantage that I had just learned to take for granted, being able to split focus and take notes at the same time. I think it's sort of the same way with the internet. We often take for granted how easy it is to pull up information on our phones, tablets, or laptops. But if you add additional factors into the mix, such as someone who has to increase the size of text on their screen by 200% just so they can read it, or someone who gets dizzy when they experience animated web pages that show multiple loaders, or maybe do that smooth scroll animation that like a lot of people really love. Um, it isn't, they aren't necessarily having the same experience that you or I might have with the same content. And we don't want that. We want everyone to be able to get similar value out of published web content. Hmm. Yeah, that definitely is, it makes complete sense. And thanks for sharing your story with us. It helps understand a little bit about how you got to where you are. Um, so that's, that's great to know. And then we were also wondering, so we get a bit of an idea on what it means to be experiencing accessibility. Um, but how is it that Esri is able to meet accessibility standards in their products? It's true. Esri is constantly working to improve the accessibility of all of our products. And while there are many accessibility laws in many countries, so including the ACA, uh, we follow the most current version of the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, which is often referred to as WCAG. And we follow AA, as this is the international standard that sets the foundations for many of those laws. The latest version of WCAG is 2.2, which was released this past October. And the new version contains nine success criteria, six of which are pertinent to A and AA. Um, so like the newest criteria include instruction on placement of consistent help, how people should not have to fill out fields twice in a row without a mechanism to help them do that. So those are like the check boxes we often see on for like shipping address being the same as billing address. And of course, I mean, there are some exceptions there. But they also had new guidelines for focus state not being obscured, the target size of buttons or links, uh, how dragging functionality should work. So that will affect things like Hub's web, um, drag and drop website builder. And the one I find most interesting is that a cognitive function cannot be required in any step of authentication process, which is inclusive of having to manually type in a password. And given how ubiquitous username and passwords are on the internet, you might wonder, well, how's that going to work? Um, but it's not, I read through the guideline and it's not as strict as it would seem. They just want you to be, if you have an input field, you have to have the ability to copy a password out of the password manager and into the input field. And you'd be surprised, uh, my bank, I won't call them out, doesn't allow me to do that. <laughs> like I paste the password in and, and it's like the field has no awareness that the passwords there and always have to press space like space and then delete it just to get them to register. Um, and then another way that I've seen some companies do, which Esri doesn't have yet, but we've been doing research is sort of those, those links where you can enter your email address and you get emailed like a login link. So we've been doing some research around that too. 
Wow. So there's a lot of things to keep in mind as you're um, thinking about accessibility in our GIS apps, but I'm sure there's a lot of ways to be able to incorporate some of these accessibility standards within you know, our everyday map making. So what are some of the ways that we can make our maps more accessible? Great question. And also a tricky question. So uh, obviously Esri offers many tools and applications that help you publish data visualizations, which means that Esri has some unique challenges in ensuring our authoring tools and output information products are accessible to people with disabilities. Maps, charts, and graphs are innately visual mediums. So when Esri products are tested for accessibility, much of the focus is placed on the navigational interfaces around the map. And this ensures that the buttons, menus, forms, et cetera, are accessible to keyboard navigation and screen readers. While we are also actively engaged in research and development to improve keyboard navigation and screen reader comprehension on the map itself, there are several techniques GIS professionals can consider as they author their own digital maps. So one, you can provide a text alternative to accessing the data on a dynamic or static map by including a data table, or even a link to an Excel, or a spreadsheet, could be Excel, it could be Sheets, um, near the map itself. If the map is static and is intended to communicate a specific purpose, you can summarize that information in adjacent text so it might be on a splash screen, such as with ArcGIS Experience Builder. It could be in an area of narrative, like on ArcGIS Story Maps, a linked page or in the item itself, item description itself, which often gets displayed in content details, such as what happens on ArcGIS Hub on our content pages or ArcGIS Online in their item details pages. And if you are a developer building Esri apps, we offer methods for transferring focus to map pop-ups in our JSA, JS Maps SDK. And we have a design system CalSite, which comes with a component library that handles a lot of the accessibility interactions for you. Outside of keyboard navigation, we also have a couple of cartography resources you can use. In the ArcGIS Living Atlas collection, we offer high contrast base maps um, and enhanced contrast dark and enhanced contrast light which bump up the color differences between the features of the base maps, such as roads, parks, waterways. Uh, we also have a grayscale version of that that is available from the ArcGIS blog and can be applied through a custom base map gallery. The other two are available through Living Atlas. And beyond base maps, we have a range of colorblind friendly color ramps available. And many of our applications actually have built in color contrast checking as you build out your theme. And some of those are ArcGIS Online, ArcGIS Instant Apps, and ArcGIS Story Maps, just to name a few. Well, <laughs> there's definitely a lot of options then for everyone to keep in mind. I know a big part of keeping things accessible is like we have to be aware of what we're making. So it's great to hear there's so many options when we're making our maps. And I think you mentioned some already, but uh, for people who are you know, not just making a standard map or app, uh, the GIS developers out there, is there any way for them to test their applications, make sure that they're as accessible as possible? Sure. So like, and definitely if you know a little bit of JavaScript and so you're like pulling together some of the different pieces such as CalSite, the JS API, and some of the different mapping widgets, 
Um, the bare minimum and probably the easiest thing to do is to install an automated accessibility testing tool in a browser. I like to use DQ's Axe plugin, which is open source. They have a they have a version available for Firefox, Chrome, and Edge, and it also forms the basis for other well-known tools like Google's Lighthouse and Microsoft Insights. So I find it a pretty solid piece of software to use. And while automated accessibility testing is a great first start, the accessibility community really stress that you should also do some manual testing. So learning the basics for excited keyboard usage, such as tab and shift tab to move through the page, uh, enter for links, spacebar for forms. And also it's a little of a stretch goal, but I definitely recommend it. Learn at least one screen reader. Thanks to me, most of the front end devs in my team know how to operate one. Um, VoiceOver comes built in on Mac and NVDA can be installed for free on Windows. There's also Narrator on Windows, but I do find NVDA easier to learn. Yeah, there's so much that you can really go into a deep dive in terms of accessibility and building your apps. But I think it's also really important to just sort of have that 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 um, that the underlying knowledge that accessibility is out there and is something as GIS professionals we should be mindful of as we're uh, building our our maps and apps uh, for our users. So we really do appreciate all of the information that you provided today. Um, we always like to wrap things up by asking you sort of the three takeaways for our audience that they should know about accessibility and how it relates to their GIS work. So what are your three takeaways our audience should know about? Yes, to sort of rewrap up what I've mentioned before. Um, so number one, creating accessible applications is a partnership. As we as Esri will strive to make our products accessible, but as content authors, you are also customizing the output informational product in ways that only you can control. Two, if you can, try to test your con from, from different perspectives even if it is the zooming in 200% to see if it, the context still makes sense or installing one of the browser plugins that I've mentioned. There are even additional browser plugins that let you simulate colorblindness or um, turn off, you can turn off animation to see sort of what the page looks like with no animation applied. Um, and number three, remember that not everyone experiences the world in the same way and it might be necessary to provide information in more than one format. Thank you so much, Clara. That's really great stuff to keep in mind. And you've given us so much to think about when we're working on our applications. Hopefully some people are able to put this into action in their own work. And you've been a real help with that. So thank you for coming and sharing with us today. Thank you so much for having me. That was Clara Schmidt from Esri Inc. She is the principal product designer for ArcGIS Hub. And she joined us from her home outside of Washington, DC. Coming up next after this speedy break, we'll be learning more about ArcGIS Quick Capture. Now it's time for the GeoGeeks, our regular segment where we bring in a subject matter expert to tell us what's new and noteworthy in one of our core ArcGIS products. And we welcome back the queen of mobile GIS, Sue and Yeti, from her throne in Hamilton. Hi, Sue. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. Hi, Maggie. It's great to have you back with us, and I know that you have a great app to share, and we're, we're talking all about ArcGIS Quick Capture today. So could you let us know what, Arc, what is ArcGIS Quick Capture? 
Uh, sure. Uh, ArcGIS Quick Capture is a mobile app that doesn't always get the attention it deserves, I think, because sometimes it is overshadowed by the popularity of field maps or Survey123. So I'm glad I'm talking about it today because it is your choice for a data collection app from R3 to meet your field workflow needs. Um, it's what I call our big button data capture app. It's designed for capture when you don't have time to deal with multiple steps in order to collect an observation, especially if you're in the field and you're moving at speed and you need to easily and quickly record features and their attributes. So like our other mobile apps, if you're using Quick Capture while connected with either cellular or Wi-Fi, the data you collect is almost in real time and it's made available to users in your ArcGIS organization to view in a dashboard, web map, or another app. If you're um, a Quick Capture mobile user, you just have to download the app first from the appropriate app store. And it not only works on iOS and Android, but also Windows. And once you sign into your ArcGIS organization, you'll be able to see all the Quick Capture data projects that are shared with you. And these projects also can be shared with mobile users with a URL link or a QR code. So I think the key thing about Quick Capture is users can get going and capture data very quickly. It provides a set of buttons that just need to be tapped to capture an observation. And most attributes are actually configured to the button. Yeah, I've seen some videos of uh, Quick Capture in action. It's actually really cool. These guys are riding around in their cars and their bikes and they've got these big buttons and they're just pounding away. It's, yeah. It is all very cool. But I'm sure you get this question a lot. So we do have these other field apps, like you mentioned. Yeah. We've got field maps. We've got Survey123. So what makes Quick Capture different or unique from the other field apps? Well, I think it's really the, the simplest. It provides the simplest, most minimalistic user experience out of all the data capture apps. Uh, it does some things the other apps do. It can collect points, lines, or polygons, both feature geometry and attributes, and the feature layer that the data is collected in is either hosted in ArcGIS Online or ArcGIS Enterprise uh, in the portal. Um, it can use your GPS and external GNSS for location. But I think other than the buttons, it actually lets you collect all these other variables from your device directly, such as your location um, and direction of travel and things like that. And it will only let you capture a new observation. So that is something that is different from Survey123 and Quick Capture. But I think, again, going back to the simple big button data capture, it's very easy and needs very little user training to capture something. And you basically design your project to work in the most simple way as possible. Um, another thing that's kind of neat that people don't really know is that Quick Capture can capture multiple features at a time. So maybe you're capturing a trail and you want to capture uh, a variable about condition as well as difficulty rating. Quick Capture is the only one who really lets you do that out of our mobile apps. So I always recommend people have a look at all the apps. You can really quickly set up a project and you just want to make sure that it will meet your data collection needs and what your users are willing to work with in the field. Mm -hmm. Good point. I know that Quick Capture is definitely a great option because it does have those really easy to use features. And yes. Mark mentioned stuff about riding around bikes and doing <laughs> cool, cool videos he's seen. But maybe you have a, a little bit better example of um, some real world situa situations where you've seen Quick Capture being used. Yes, um, I can think of a few. Um, road patrol is a really popular use because basically you would have maybe one driver driving the truck and then a second mm -hmm. person would have, you know, a, a, a 
a tablet or a phone and they could just tap a button while they're um, capturing road hazards or road conditions. Sign inventories I've seen is another popular use, wildlife observations, hazard patrols, damage assessment. Uh, Waste collection is another application. And actually on our GIS day, the city of Hamilton uh, talked about how they're using quick capture for their bulk bulk waste collection program. So they can give the public instant feedback about why a bulk item could not be picked up. And of course, as a GeoGeek, I do have a personal example. I've used that fun run (laughs) template that we use at the San Diego User Conference that lets um, people who are virtually attending the conference participate in the fun run. So I've used this on running and hiking, although I sometimes use field maps. Um, But um, we have that template actually part of our Esri Canada internal organization in our connection hub to share our uh, fitness activities. So those are just some examples. Yeah, I could just see you now just running down San Diego streets with your big button pounding away. I'm that more likely doing it in Hamilton, actually. But. Oh, okay. <laughs> Probably a good idea. Yeah. All right. So you mentioned how Quick Capture is really easy, and you kind of got me sold. I really want to try Quick Capture out. So what are some of the basic steps to kind of set it up and get going? Well, we provide uh, what's called a web designer from your ArcGIS organization that you use to create your projects. And you start off with a data layer. So you might already have a data layer you created either in ArcGIS Pro and have published to your organization, or you've created it right in your ArcGIS organization. And if you don't have a data layer, that's okay, because we give you a bunch of templates. And the templates kind of meet common workflows. So the fun run is one of the templates. And you select these uh, templates, it builds your feature layer, and then quick Capture builds a data collection project based on that layer. And it will create one button per feature type. And then you can configure not only how that button looks, so kind of user experience to make it easier to be um, aware of what you're capturing, but you would then configure all the attributes that each button is collecting. So you can select from your list of attributes in your data layer. You can select from those device variables I mentioned. There's a whole list that are supported. And you can also add user input. So that is if, say, you wanted someone to add or type in or choose from another drop-down list some additional variables per type of feature they're collecting. Other things you would configure in your project is it provides a map. Um, Even though it's button-based, the users can still see where they are on a map, and the map can have other background reference data. You might want to configure location sharing because that is an option for Quick Capture now. And you might want to link to another app. So Quick Capture supports URL linking that you can create a button that would take a user directly to Survey123 or dashboards. And then once you're done configuring and saving that project, you just share it with your mobile users. And we usually recommend group sharing in ArcGIS. And then once they have that, they're they're ready to go. So it's really easy. I think, Mark, you could do it no problem. <laughs> Even I could do it. Wow, thanks. Appreciate that. <laughs> well, it seems like a, if Mark can do it, anyone can. So a great app, especially for people getting started in the field, field app world. So thanks for sharing all of that. But, you know, we can't let you go without hearing what's new. We always want to know what's new. So are there any new updates to the latest version of Quick Capture people should know about? Yeah, well, thanks for asking. There was an update on November 30th, so the last update of the year. Um, One of the things they updated is I mentioned that although Quick Capture is typically the buttons are 
are kind of hard coded to feature attributes, those user variables, we call them user input variables. The limit before was three and now there's 10 because people wanted to add more of those. And, and they're kind of cool when you use them. So you tap on a button, it automatically captures some attributes. And then you might just present a list of choices and the user selects a choice and then it would automatically go on to the next variable. So we've added more of those. Um, earlier this year, we added the ability to use arcade calculations to calculate some of your attributes as well. And we also updated the support for oriented imagery layers. So you can add those to your quick capture project and capture them directly. So just capturing images from different orientations and then they're, uh, they can be viewed in your ArcGIS organization after. So there's been a number of good updates very recently. Oh, <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah, so there's a lot of things that you just listed there and I really appreciate you giving us sort of that grand overview of what um, ArcGIS Quick Capture is all about. So Sue, thanks so much for uh, coming in today. Well, thanks for having me. Live from Hamilton, that was Sue and Yeti, our GeoGeek for all things field apps. But her real title is Product Specialist for Mobile Solutions for the Product Management Team. And up next, it's a new year of more humiliation and embarrassment as we play our game, M vs. M. I'm excited for another year of victories and glory for me and only me. It's time for M vs. M. All right, Maggie Sampson. It's time, a new year, more <laughs> fun and games with our little segment M vs. M. Are you ready? I'm definitely ready, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, you already know the rules. They're really simple. You get mm -hmm. three right answers first, and you will receive a Times Square New Year's Eve celebration. Wow. In the in middle of January, that's amazing. I know. Yeah, there's <laughs> going to be like the GIS ball just dropping in the, <laughs> in the streets of Hamilton. It's going to be spectacular. Oh, excited. Oh, yes. And of course, if you get three wrong answers first, you'll be forced to hang out with Ryan Seacrest for the rest of the year. That is uh, the ultimate punishment. Well, I think he probably lives a pretty exciting life. So it's a win-win either way, really. <laughs> <laughs> He does. Gosh, he's, I can't believe he's going to be the host of Wheel of Fortune. But whatever. That's a whole different story. Okay. Are you ready for today's game? Sure am. Because we're going to talk something old. Because, of course, it's me. Oh, no. Right. We're going to talk about our favorite file format, the shapefile. Oh, gosh. I thought you said it was going to be easy this time. <laughs> It is going to be easy because you are a veteran of shapefiles, right? Uh, yeah. Haven't used them too much lately, though. We'll see. We'll, we'll <laughs> see. Well, fun fact, they were first introduced in 1998, Ooh. which happens to be the first year I started at Esri Inc. What? Wow. So, that was my sister's uh, birth year as well. Exciting year. <laughs> Exciting year, indeed. <laughs> my birth. Oh, Not mine, my sister. My okay. sister. I was three. Jeez. <laughs> oh, just every time we do this podcast, it just makes me more depressed. But anyway. <laughs> but after all these years, the shapefile is still around and it's still popular and it's still being used all the time, right? Mm -hmm. But the funny thing is, is that a shapefile isn't a file. This isn't a single file. It actually comprises of a number of files. Yes, it does. It does. And of course, each of those files serves a purpose. So I'm going to name a file extension, and you're going to tell me if it's a part of a shapefile. Yeah, file. I knew this is what this is going to be. 
I am always failing this test on this question on my tests in school, so I'm excited. Oh, I'm excited <laughs> for me. There's too many pieces. Okay, okay. What's the first one? All right, first one. A DBF file. Um, that's I thought for databases. Uh, I know one of them doesn't start with an S, so it, maybe it's that one. Yeah, sure. Ding 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 ding. There you go. You see, you're off to a flying start. Yeah. Right, so so a DBF is a DBase file, and all okay. of the attribute information is stored in a DBase database. How fun. Wow. I should definitely know this, but you know what? Can't remember everything. Okay. <laughs> so she all does old ancient stuff, but fine. Yeah. Okay, ready for number two? Sure am. The E00 file. E00? Um... That's the extension of the file? Yes. Uh, no, I don't know. That doesn't sound like a real file type to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a real no. file. But okay. it's not a shape, it's not part of a shape file. So you get it. You got it right. Yay! Okay, I, I feel like I've seen them in my file explorer, but it just doesn't seem right. I wouldn't not have to have that. Out. No. Well, this is even older. This is um, an ARC info interchange file. So if you had a coverage and you wanted to export it, you export it as an E00 file. Wow. Learning new things every every time you play. <laughs> ah, you go into the history books of GIS. All right. Well, two nothing. You're already you are already almost there. Just doing great. Just waiting for one that I know. All okay. right. Here we go. <laughs> Next up, the SHX file. SHX. Ooh, that's tough. That's tough. It sounds like it would be in there. Um, I don't know. I don't think it is. No. Oh, you should have gone with your gut instinct. It is indeed Dang. part of a shape file. So the SHX oh. is the index file. That's oh, the wow. index. It indexes all of the feature geometry. And it is a required file in a shape Ugh, file. So. Darn. Isn't there only three required files too? And I just... There are indeed. There are three required files. So there's the SHP, that's the shape file itself. Yes. SHX is the index, and then the DBF, which is the attribute table. <sighs> okay, darn. All right. <laughs> next okay. question. Two to one. Here we go with the next one. A PRJ. <gasps> a rejection file. It's real, but I don't know if it's always in there because you could have an unprojected shape file. Yes, it's there. It is there. Boom! Yay! The only one I know. <laughs> I was hoping you would ask about the projection. <laughs> you always have to talk about projections, right, in, in GIS. Yeah, so you're absolutely right. It's the projection file. It's not mandatory because you're right. You can have some shape files without a coordinate system. But if it has one, it's stored in that PRJ file. Mm -hmm. Darn it. Yay! I'm so I glad that you. was there. <laughs> you were close on that one, and it's embarrassing. I really should know it. I've been tested many times on that exact series of questions, but thankfully, 50-50 chance guesses got me there. Well, you passed, <laughs> and you have kicked off 2024 with victory. Yay! Well, I guess you know what you have to do then, Mark. Gosh. Why? Why does this happen to me? Why? Thank you for joining us for this episode of Spatial Report. Please check out our website at esri.ca slash spatial report to learn more about the topics we covered today. 
We also post our videos of our interviews on the Esri Canada YouTube channel. And don't forget to subscribe to our monthly Getting Technical newsletter that highlights all the latest news in our technology. This podcast is brought to you by Esri Canada, a technology company that empowers people and organizations and Maggie Sampson by the science of wear. Maggie, I guess we'll talk to you next month. Yep, sounds good. I'm excited. All right, until then, happy mapping, everybody. Bye.